Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome back to the show. Our next guest, the talented actress Ileana Douglas, has taken a particular interest in the fabulous movies that have been shown, that have been made uh, produced, uh, set here in Connecticut. It's got to be one of my favorite topics of all time. Ileana Douglas is a marvelous actress, but she's also a chronicler of all kinds of things. She tells stories, not just on film, but elsewhere. And she joins us now to talk about Connecticut and the movies. Ileana Douglas, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. I love uh, my two favorite subjects, Connecticut and movies. <laughs> I know. Me too, actually. Me too. So, well, you know, when, when I when I knew that you were coming on the show, the first thing that I thought of is the classic holiday favorite Christmas in Connecticut with Barbara Stanwyck and Sydney Greenstreet and Dennis O'Brien. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Which, yeah, which now did you know that it's based on a real life woman named Gladys Tabar who uh, lived in Southbury? No. Kind of the, well, that's that's why I wrote the book. Wow. It's, it's, I didn't know just, that. That's amazing. Yeah, the book is is probably filled with 20 of those moments where you just think, wait a minute, is that really true? You know, uh, uh, just, you know, people from Connecticut that, that maybe the world doesn't know about that, um, you know, where the association for movies is really, you know, is really powerful, but people just don't, people just don't know it. And so what's fun about going through the book and the hundred movies that I chose is that it it not only tells the story, it's like a guidebook that tells the history of Connecticut through movies. And that's what makes it, I think, kind of fun is that there's a movie for everybody. If there's a Christmas movie or there's a horror movie that you love, uh, you you know, if it's Mystic Pizza, you're not just learning about the origin of the film. You're also learning about the origin of Mystic. And I, and I think that for people from Connecticut, it's one of those things that, you know, maybe Parisians don't go to the Eiffel Tower as much as they should, that there's so many places here that people can visit and learn about through these films. Well, you know, I live in Westport since 1989. So, of course, Paul Newman and 
and uh, Joanne Woodward have been part of the fabric of my of my background forever, and I cherish, cherish, cherish their activity in our own town and our own world, frankly. But um, but also the cover of your book, Connecticut in the Movies, we're chatting with Ileana Douglas, I believe is Burt Lancaster in The Swimmer, and I think that that was partially filmed in Westport. It was filmed in uh, Westport and also Fairfield. Uh, so those are the two main locations, many different uh, and, and also many different swimming pools along the way. Well, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, the book chronicles how Connecticut, you know, the perception of Connecticut, how we went from movies like Christmas in Connecticut, this idyllic transformational Westport in particular kind of artistic bohemia, mm-hmm. lots of Broadway actors moving to Westport, the creation of the Westport Playhouse in the, you know, in the 1930s, and then how that perception changed so that as we get into the 50s, movies about Connecticut are, start to focus more on suburbia and then what I call dark suburbia. And a movie like The Swimmer is about the you know, the so-called misplaced values, money, status, and, uh, uh, you know, based on a, on a short story by John Cheever, uh, who lived in Connecticut. So he's chronicling the, the demise, in a way, of suburbia. I'm thinking about Mr. Blanding's Built His Dream House, okay, with Myrna Loy, and yes. uh, Cary Grant. And I want yes. you to know, Ileana Douglas, that I actually think about this all the time because <laughs> I do. Because, first of all, it's a fantastic movie. But also, yes. he buys like 65 acres in Darien. Okay? Yes. And, and that, okay, just like full stop. 65 acres in Darien. Okay, full stop. And then also, the house that he designs is honestly yes. so charming. And it is so in scale and in proportion with the environment of, of, of the land around it. I always think that because we build these horrible, ugly mega mansions of the last 20, 30 years, there's their blights on the landscape as far as I'm concerned. And they have no, yes. they have no relationship to scale whatsoever. And I, I just want people to watch Mr. Blanding's Built His Dream House. I don't know. It's just one of my favorite well, movies. But the, in what's key about Mr. Blanding's, which is really part of the, you know, the, the, the cornerstone of the book, is that it was written by Eric Hodgins, and, who lived in New Milford, and it tells his own story of buying a, you know, a dream house, a fixer-upper, mm-hmm. and how he went broke, essentially, <laughs> right. you know, right. and had to sell, had the to money sell pit. was forced to. Yeah, I was forced to sell it. But the fictional in the movie, it's called Lansdale, was based on, again, once again, a very real uh, Connecticut community where many of the right people were living Mm -hmm. and doing exactly that. You know, so there, yes, there were other bedroom communities, but none possessed the cachet of Fairfield, New Milford. Litchfield, you know, so you had people living there like Leonard Bernstein and Florence Eldridge and Eartha Kitt and Gene Simmons and Arthur Miller and Lillian Hellman. So it was an almost elite, uh, you know, milieu for writers. And so they, you know, in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, it was, you know, probably the best promotional tool to get people to move to Connecticut. That's true. 
that there ever was because, you know, we all have this dream, especially in post-war America, of, you know, your dream house. But Blanding's, what was so unique about that film is that it literally gave you the blueprint for the house, what the house should look like. And so I agree with you, this, for many, many years, this kind of, and it wasn't quite colonial, it's like colonial revival, you know, uh, because it's, they took something from Connecticut, but remember, they built the house. So there's the real house in New Milford, but then Hollywood expanded on that, you know, on that idea and added, you know, the kitschy little touches. But many of the, the the things that appear in the movie, you know, like appliances, it's a wall-to-wall commercial. It is. Because, it is. For the post-war boom, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so they're eating Kellogg's cereal. Right. <laughs> and Cary Grant is driving, a, you know, a Ford motor car that is prominently featured. And then after the movie... Uh, you know, came out, they had this great idea to sell promotional house kits so that you could live in a Blanding's house. Wow. Now, something like that had never been done. And some of these kits, you know, builders all across America, they could be, you could build a, a Blanding's house, but you could add something fun like a bomb shelter. Oh, my goodness. We're chatting with Ileana Douglas. And, you know, speaking of Darianne, there are two films in Connecticut that specifically and explicitly mention the restrictive covenants of Darianne. One, of course, is Gentleman's Agreement, which personally I think ought to be seen along with To Kill a Mockingbird by every school school child in America, full stop. Okay, because one of the great movies anyway. One of the great movies. And then, and that's about... John Garfield being a Jewish friend of Gregory Peck and not being able to, well, it's about a lot of things, but it's also about not being able to find housing in Darien post-war in the late 1940s. And then there's the great scene in Auntie Mame played by Rosalind Russell, which I just saw in TCM again the other night, in which she makes fun of the Ariannes from Darien, and she puts a Jewish war refugee camp right next to the erstwhile almost-in-laws. You know what I'm talking about. It's a fantastic scene. And so, therefore, you have, which I go into detail, you have the real two films which are key in this area. You know, The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit, which examines. I love that movie with Gregory Peck and Jennifer Jones. And Westport is right there off the Merritt Parkway, right there. Oh, my God. Yes. And so he's, (laughs) you know, they're talking about the emptiness of the lives Mm -hmm. of the commuter. And then now, you know, and again, it different the difference between a movie you can see now Christmas in Connecticut Mr. Blanding's now we're getting very dark the husbands and wives there's a sense of kind of isolation and then you mentioned gentlemen's agreement of course which is about you know these these covenants uh, that are not only in 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 Darien you know throughout America but then mm-hmm. Darien gets um you know, almost unfairly, you know, that what I write about in the, in the book is it wasn't until 1968 that we had the Fair Housing Act. Now, that's all across America. So there were covenants everywhere. But because it was specifically about Connecticut and Darien, now we have a movie like Mame, which now, you know, almost uh, unfairly stereotypes, specifically Darianne, mm-hmm. most likely because of the film, 
you know, gentleman's agreement. And but what is important about that gentleman's agreement is that, you know, by the end of the film, what's really important, basically, the plot is that uh, Gregory Peck is is portraying a reporter who goes he, you know, goes undercover as a, as a, you know, playing someone who's who's Jewish. He's he's going to go by the name Phil Greenberg, and his fiance, uh, her, it is from Darianne, and she says, you know, could you just tell my relatives when you visit them that you're not really Jewish? And so there you get to the heart. But she doesn't. What's important about the film is it's not overt bigotry. Right. It's. Right. It's the idea that she believes in his story, but she says it would just kind of make me uncomfortable if you. So could you just tell my family so you don't, you know, upset the apple cart? And that is the that's the beauty of the film is this un, unseen, unknowing bigotry that's in all of us that we have to examine. And so in that sense. I think that it's really important because I think that that's also that's a part of the Connecticut story is that at least it recognizes it, you Mm -hmm. know, in the film. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the film, she does change. You know, she recognizes uh, what is wrong. And I think that throughout the book, I saw examples of that. Another great film that's in the true crime section is called Boomerang which is about another famous uh, Connecticut uh, attorney um, named uh, Homer Cummings, who who, uh, there was a very famous case called Harold Israel versus the state of Connecticut, in which there was a murder of a priest in 1924. And there was a lot of pressure to convict someone. And the police coerced a uh, confession out of this soldier named Harold Israel. And when Homer coming, there was a lot of pressure to convict him. And he realized it was, you know, a coerced confession. And he very dramatically went into court and said, it's just as important to uh, defend the innocent as it is to convict the guilty and basically switch sides. Very dramatic. Very, you know, very. And this is this is somebody, again, from Connecticut. And so I found that. You know, that seed of authenticity running through many of these uh, famous people that were that where movies were made about them. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to be proud of, but there's also a lot of darkness that we shouldn't be afraid to 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 look at and examine and say, you know, where 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 have the movies gotten it right? And where is it maybe gone a little bit wrong? Because, you know, a movie like. Mame, and I was, you know, recently I'm out in California, and so you get this cemented impression of Connecticut that is no longer the idyllic, transformational Christmas in Connecticut. It is, oh, you're an Aryan from Darien, you know, and now when we see a movie, if we want to, you know, show, okay, something bad is going to happen, well, let's send them to Connecticut. If somebody mm. is a bad guy, if somebody is evil, <laughs> oh my you know, goodness, like in, really? In the show bill, billions. Let's 
have him living oh, in Connecticut. Oh, my. Ileana Douglas, stay right there. We're going to be right back. We're talking about Connecticut and the movies with actress and writer Ileana Douglas. Stay tuned. And welcome back to the show. We're chatting with Ileana Douglas. Her wonderful book, Connecticut and the Movies, is all about exactly that. She herself is a noted actress and comes from Hollywood royalty lineage. Ileana, I know we're going to go back to the movies, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about your relationship with your extraordinarily accomplished actor father um, actor grandfather Melvin Douglas wasn't he the best friend of Cary Grant in Mr. Blanding's Bill's his dream house or am I thinking of another movie no he plays he 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 pops up in the book in uh, a few instances uh first in a wonderful comedy called Theodora Goes Wild which I absolutely love and again has origins from is that with Irene Dunn Yes, it is. Oh, I love that movie. You know, I'm a major TCM fan, so, like, you're talking to, like, (laughs) like, you know. Okay. Yes, and Irene Dunn, talk about one of the greatest actresses and singers, by the way, ever to come out of Hollywood beyond. And such a beauty. It was one of her her first comedies, and, again, she's doing a slight variation, which is another thing I talk about. The ambassador of Connecticut, uh, Catherine Hepburn. Oh, yeah. her, Her patrician... Uh, way of speaking became a go-to for anyone playing, you know, madcap heiress or madcap mm. person. They're doing a vaguely Catherine <laughs> Hepburn accent, oh. even in even in Mame, as you you know, the Gloria Upson. Oh, please, kind of doing a Catherine Hepburn with the ups and but, downs. Uh, oh, that was hilarious. Yes, that was too funny. But uh, so in Theodora Goes Wild, the director whose name was Richard Boleslavsky was one of the. Uh, he he taught the the what they what we now know as the method in acting. He no, he came here from Russia, and in the uh, early '30s, he along with the group theater was in Brookfield, Connecticut, and uh, you know we're rehearsing plays for Broadway, all of the most famous plays of the of the era: Death of a Salesman, Waiting for Lefty, etc. And uh, so. He directs Theodora Goes Wild. It has all sorts of interesting, you know, Connecticut touches. There's, you know, a whole idea about being, you know, transformational, being your authentic self. My grandfather's just absolutely, I think, wonderful in in the film, as is Irene Dunn, you know, very unmannered and down, down to earth. And then going to Mr. Blandings, he pops up again. With, uh, I think he's, in my opinion, he's got the funniest lines in the in the movie because uh, he is the wry observer. He is of of the two. He is, you know, New Yorkers. And again, we get this other interesting sort of trope of the shrewd Yankee fleecing the New Yorkers, and we, you know, we kind of get that again and again. But and that's where it appears in Mr. Blanding's, you know, where the they they you know hoist this uh, unsellable money pit right on uh, on Cary Grant and Myrna Loy. But by the end of the movie, what's interesting is his character, which is another sort of post-war, uh, you know, feeling. Is he says, "Well, just keep spending and spending, and <laughs> somehow, somehow it'll all work out because everybody deserves a home, right? You know, so right." He was so uh, elegant, your grandfather. Oh my goodness, was he an, was he an elegant man in real life too? He was so elegant in film. Oh yes, absolutely, absolutely. All my all my uh, 
memories of of him are you know are in just like in the movies you know he had his uh his sulka pajamas and his uh. sulka bathrobe and you know very very uh always very elegant very well spoken obviously and friends with people like you know Myrna Loy in real life I'm so, sure I'm sure you know he, there was always again that sort of bohemia feeling like you're in a checkoff play mm. with actors visiting and writers and and all that. So of course it made me want to aspire to, to you know, go into the same profession because it, there there was always so many interesting uh, people around. Actually, the writers of Mr. Blanding's, which I didn't realize until I got older, I had actually met them. They 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 were around visiting. So, uh, all, you know, I I just was excited. I think I mentioned in the in the chapter on Blandings, I was just I, I was excited because I I had heard they they wrote the uh, Hope and Crosby movies. <laughs> wow! So, and by the way, kid, speaking speaking of Crosby, I was just watching Holiday Inn with Fred Astaire, and that takes yes. place in Connecticut. The second one sure takes does. place in Vermont, but the first one yes. very emphatically takes place in Connecticut. And I was watching, yes. it and I thought, wow. Yeah. And in fact, that's where he writes White Christmas. Right, exactly he, in Connecticut. That's right in Connecticut. So that's we right. can we can own we can own that too. Yeah, his uh, his and and the uh, the other little tidbit was that Holiday Inn, the which I didn't know until I started doing my research, was that the chain of hotels Holiday Inn is in fact based on the movie. I, really, because, I didn't yeah. know that either. We're chatting with Ileana Douglas. Ileana, before we wrap up, we've only got a few more minutes. I have to ask you about Stepford Wives in Connecticut, because when we talk about the trope of Connecticut, very often suburban women are being cast as a quote-unquote Stepford wife, and that comes out of Connecticut. So you got to tell us about that. Well, again, in my mind, the movie The Stepford Wives is that by the time you get to the Stepford Wives, you have these similar tropes. You have a married couple. They purchase a classic two-story colonial house. It looks very much like the Blandings, except the only thing that changes is that there is a need to deconstruct Connecticut to say that something this perfect really can't be perfect Mm, at all. I see. And that's what I and so now we reimagine Connecticut and suburbia and you start to even within the movie, if people remember, it has these it's filled with pastels and it's got a kind of a surreal look. And from that moment on, you start to see, you know, films about Connecticut and setting a story in Connecticut, signaling to the audience that something very bad is going to happen. You could look at movies like The Ice Storm and Revolutionary Road. Right. And they all... And they all have, guess what, a kind of a weird, hyper-real. Yeah, yeah that's the ice storm. is so weird with the keys, and they're having swinger parties in New Canaan. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the Stepford Wives, what's interesting, again, is that it was supposed to be, you know, Ira Levin, who, you know, who lived in Connecticut and, and, and wrote about, you know, wrote about it. Now, what he was actually writing about was what he felt was in the need for conformity. But but what happened with the film was that it was, you know, it became this kind of sexist, 
you know, uh, suggesting women, you know, if, if they that they that if they didn't argue or question things, if, you know, that that their husbands, you know, if their hu- husbands ruled everything, they would be happier. So. Therefore, then that Connecticut gets cast and all of these things like, oh, all the women in Connecticut, you know, people forget the the plot of the movie is he wants to, you know, he wants to move her to Connecticut and get in this men's, you know, it's a horror movie so that that they can turn all the women into into robots. Robots. Right. But but the but the but the play on it is that women in suburbia have become a kind of robot. Right. I mean, that's in in popular imagination. That's really what comes out of it is that somehow we're playing this role that is not attached to our feelings or real life in some way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so therefore, then now when you get the stereotypical you know, she's from Connecticut. That mm-hmm. means she's plastic. Right. She's cold. She's yeah. Right. She's fake. We've gone away from the the whole idea of the movie, which was, I think, what he was trying to say. The original writer Ira Levin is okay. Going back to our puritanical roots, there is a you know there is a need for conformity. Don't don't stand out. Ileana, I I rarely do this, but I'm getting all kind of calls and emails about this. Do you have another five minutes? We've got to do news and traffic. Can you give us another few minutes? Can you? Okay. Because I'm getting all this listener interest. Stay tuned. We're going to take Ileana Douglas over the hour. You're listening to WICC. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. We're back with Ileana Douglas, a fantastic actress who's been featured in four Martin Scorsese movies and many other, many other movies as well. And her book, Connecticut in the Movies, is taking Connecticut by storm. She stayed over. We're going to publish this as a fantastic podcast right after the show because we're talking about our favorite subject, which is Connecticut in the Movies. Ileana Douglas, thank you so much for staying. Thank you. I'm glad people are excited. Oh, they're so excited. Okay, I got all these questions for you. First question is, Betty yes. Davis lived on Newtown yes. Turnpike in Westport for quite a while. Yes. Did she yes. Was she associated with any movies in Connecticut? 
You know, the only one that I could actually find was where she visited the set, actually, of Stepford Wives. Did but she? No, she never. Yes, she did. Yeah, uh-huh. I have a picture of her in the book visiting the set. She looks very out of place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. With all the women in their antebellum. Uh, she looks very buttoned up uh, ne- next to them. But uh, but she, she also uh, worked at the Westport Playhouse. So she did plays there, but that's more of her. I I couldn't find a movie that she was associated with. That's interesting. Okay. And of course, uh, somebody else wants to know, because they were enamored of Melvin Douglas, your grandfather, they were listening about the Sulka pajamas, but one listener wants to know, did he have a a special scent of any kind when you were with him? Was, you know, did he have a special cologne? Was there something about him that was unique to him that you recall? did I recall, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it it would have probably been something like lavender, yardly lavender, something like that. I know he did go to London quite a bit, but I can't remember anything uh, specific. Um, Sorry. Well, that's okay. And then, of course, we must talk talk more a little bit about Catherine Hepburn because now was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner set in Connecticut? You know, that's a good question. I don't, I, I think they're in Manhattan, aren't they? I, they're in, no, but they're in a home, though. They, they're in a home. No. They're in a suburban home. They're not in Manhattan. No way. Yes. Uh, well, that I can't, I can't quite remember that. There is, yeah. you know, they're. No, they're in a, uh, they're it, in a home and it seems like it could be Connecticut, but I don't know that it specifically says it's in Connecticut. Well, you have a whole range of films that are, you know, which I didn't, con- you know, it, it starts to become very confusing because it's not that kind of a book. It's a, you know, the book is a road trip mm-hmm. through Connecticut. So I really liked films where you could really, you know, as I said, if, if it's a movie like Parish, where it's it's really a travelogue of Connecticut. Yeah. But there are many films that I just didn't include, you know, Beetlejuice is supposed to, you know, one time they mentioned Connecticut, but they actually made it in Vermont. Okay. It really looks like <laughs> Vermont. So you kind of get into the weeds with, right. you know, there's a, there's been over 300 films uh, and counting made in Connecticut going back to the silent era, which is another kind of a fascinating thing that people were coming here making movies in the silent era. So, you know, that's sort of fascinating. And you said somebody wanted to, to talk more about um, Catherine Hepburn. And as I write in the book, you know, she is the really the brand ambassador, I think, of Connecticut because she she symbolizes, I think, authenticity. You know, in the film uh, Bringing Up Baby, the studio, you know, this this movie, which takes place in Connecticut, and she's playing a madcap Connecticut heiress. And With she, two she leopards. With two leopards. With a, right. And so she did come from a, you know, a wealthy uh, kind of bohemian family. And the studio, so here she is being her authentic self and all, all the things we love about her, you know, the crazy mane of hair and wearing pants and she, she she's playing golf and she's, you know, doing all these wonderful things. Well, this was the movie that labeled her box office poison. Isn't that crazy? And this the studio released her. I mean, this movie that we all now love and embrace Howard Hawks as the director was the film that got her released from her contract. She was 
you know, despondent. She went back to New York. She, you know, bought, she did the play, the Philadelphia story. She bought the rights and came back triumphant, you know. So that is that sense of individuality. It, to me, there is there is no greater brand, I think, than that is the Connecticut brand, a, a sense of authenticity, a sense of individuality. And hopefully, again, the book is a blueprint because I think there are so many things that, that Connecticut just really should be, you know, not just in the movies, but in art and music, taking a little bit more credit for. You know, it's interesting you should say that about individuality because Julia Roberts Right. She makes her splash in Mystic Pizza, which is obviously Connecticut. And that movie is all about staking out your individual path. That's what that movie is. Yes. That chapter of the book, I call it's called Location, Location, Location. So it's basically where the town is the star of the movie, where people in the town embraced the filming of the movie and were and were extras in the movie and helped the movie come about. And so Mystic Pizza, again, you get this completely random. The story of Mystic Pizza begins with the writer Amy Holden Jones and her husband, the, the director of photography, Michael Chapman, who did uh, Raging Bull. They were on their way to Maine. They stopped in Mystic because they were looking for fried clams. She saw this sign said Mystic Pizza, and she had worked for uh, the producer, low-budget producer Roger Corman, who said, come up with a title first and then write the movie. So she saw Mystic Pizza. She said, oh, that would be a great name, you know, for for a movie, and decided to stay in Mystic. She ended up living in Mystic. So once again, we have Connecticut sort of seducing someone. She moved to Mystic. She wrote. And the, the you know, the, the fabric of the film has, again, these, you know, these roots of women that really have to choose because they don't have enough money to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know, one girl is working as a babysitter. One girl is just going to work in the pizza parlor. You know, because that's all she she, you know, aspires to. And Julia Roberts is using her looks to get along, but aspires to land a rich man. Mm -hmm. So I thought that all of those ideas in this kind of female buddy movie and, you know, I had never seen in a movie when I was a kid. You know, that was the first time I saw the word, maybe the only time, townies. Right, right. the, The idea that. You know, you live on the wrong side of the town. You know, now I was out in L.A. and I met this girl and uh, she said, oh, I'm from Southbury, but I'm from the wrong side of Southbury. And I said, I can't believe you still say that. (laughs) But, you know, but people have that feeling of like, well, I live on, you know, I mean, I grew up in Old Saber. That was the wrong side of Connecticut. You're supposed to be living in, you know, Darien and Greenwich and all these places. But we, you know, we, there is, there, the class system is very represented within the Mystic, Mystic Pizza. It is. And I it's still, all about and I, class, right? She goes with that country club drive. She's humiliated. That's, it's all about class. And the other one, the other woman who gets sort of, um, who sort of has a crush on her, the babysitter father, but then he sort yes. of comes on to her and breaks her heart a little bit. It's all about class and power. It's all about and she's Yeah. And she's going to Yale, but remember, she's going on a scholarship. Right. She has to work two jobs. Right. And I thought that, again, that, that shows, like, it's not just 
wealthy families from Darien that go to Yale or Wesleyan, you know, which you see in the movies again and again, you know, as a trope. But here's people, you know, that it represents the blue collar industrial side of Connecticut, which I go into in, in great detail in movies like Mystic Pizza and the origin of the Portuguese fishermen and in Waterbury, the film Stanley and Iris and the, the importance of, you know, the industrial past of Waterbury, how, how Waterbury was created on the backs of immigrants. And I think that when we talk about Connecticut, we often uh, forget, you know, as you drive on the highway, you see, well, what are all these empty brick factories doing mm-hmm. here? Yep. You know, and it, and the book, you know, tries to, uh, remember and celebrate all of the immigrants that you know that live in Connecticut. Another movie like that is is Parish, you know, which which talks about the tobacco fields and Windsor and and Simsbury and how important that was to Connecticut. Ileana Douglas, the the book is Connecticut in the movies. You you're a treasure to us here in Connecticut, and I love talking movies with you. I wish you great success in this. Thank are you. you doing any personal appearances that we want to promote? And are you going to be around talking about your book anytime in the next few days or a few weeks that people might want to meet I, I you? I am. It, Go ahead. If you, uh, I will actually be in uh, Hartford at the Mark Twain House, November thirtieth at seven. Oh, and it's I'll tomorrow be, night. Uh, I'll, cool. I'll be yeah, I'll be signing books there, and then December first, I will be uh, in uh, Chester at Spring Street Gallery signing books. But uh, and you can check out my I have a web uh, page which I, I've been collecting people's stories, their own reminiscences, uh, reminiscences of, of Connecticut films on a Facebook page, Connecticut in the movies. So that's been a lot of fun too, hearing about. Uh, some of the people that were extras in some of these films or their own their own recollections. I mean, there's a there's a lot to be uh, proud of and, and excited about. And again, I hope that the you know, the book becomes a blueprint for more filming uh, in in the state, because we really there's so many great stories that we could reexamine. Well, you know, Ileana, you talked about the man in the gray flannel suit. So one of the prominent one of the prominent subplots in The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit is that Gregory Peck and Jennifer Jones are this post-war couple, and he had an affair, even though he was married, with this Italian woman, and it produced a baby. And Jennifer Jones finds out about it. She almost goes off the side of the Merritt Parkway in distress about it. But in the yeah. end, she comes to accept it. And they end up with a Judge Bernstein, who is the probate judge in Westport. And, and he's played by Lee J. Cobb. And he plays this sort of very wise figure who helps them through navigating this in a very kind way to send money to this child and mother back in Italy. And I want you to know that I am the Judge Bernstein of Westport, Connecticut for the last 10 years. I am the probate judge there. And I always think about that scene in The Man in the Gray Flannel Suit because I inhabit my role as probate judge, quite honestly, it in sort of that kind of, I try anyway, to be yes. sort of that kind, wise figure when people come to me with their problems. And I think about that movie all the time. Wow. What a great story. I mean, so it just shows how it's in the... You know, it's it's within the wallpaper. You would love the movie Boomerang then, because again, it's uh, I got to watch I, that I one. Yeah, you know the 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 real life story 
of Harold Israel uh, and Homer Cumming, who went on to become he got he got pushed out. The case was such a hot potato in Bridgeport that he was actually pushed out of politics in Bridgeport, but later tapped for attorney general by FDR. Wow. And it, it would be an amazing story. And even Amistad, you know, which I go into detail in the in the film. And although the film has, you know, some issues, some historic fabrication, it's slightly disnified. The story is one is one to be embraced uh, because it's just an incredible it's an incredible story. And I don't think it would have happened, you know, could happen in, in any other in any other you know state. Um, the, the how the abolitionists were involved to good, you know, to good and bad extent, which is which is kind of marginalized a little bit. But in my research about Amistad, it's not just the case of Amistad. It's just the the idea that the abolitionists that were in New Haven, you know, that the that they were living with some of the families. It's like an incredible, yeah. it's an incredible Amazing. story. There's much there's much more depth to it than the movie reveals. And uh, I mean, I think it would be a terrific miniseries for somebody because you you really get these great Connecticut characters in that story that. Um, that need to be reevaluated, you know, and again and again in the book, as I said, I try to create a blueprint that people will get excited about some of these people, maybe go off and make do their own uh, movies about them. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ileana Douglas, Connecticut in the movies. And you can see her go on her website, make sure you can meet her in person, shake her hand and thank her for this wonderful contribution. Thank you so much, Ileana Douglas, for being with thank us you. today. Pleasure. Thank We're going to be right back. Nice you too. Bye-bye. We'll be right back Bye. with Marissa Gillette, the chairwoman of our Public Utility Regulatory Authority. Stay tuned. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 